Blog Talk Radio.
Abba, Father, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you for the blood he shed on the cross for us. Thank you for covering this prayer and all the prayers that we bring to you with his blood. Thank you for the moans and groans and the tears we shed because you said you will bottle up our tears. Hallelujah. You wash away the yesterdays and you bring us home to you, God. Thank you. Thank you for walking us home and thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given us to lead us, to guide us, and to bring all things in your word to our remembrance. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for Apostle Lex. Thank you for her grandnephew. Thank you for the trip that they're on. Lord. We ask you to keep them safe. We ask you for journey mercy. We ask you to continue to keep them from all hurt, harm, and danger. We ask you, God, to help them to find joy in this day you have given us. And we will bless you, and we will praise you, and we will keep your word on our mouth, in our lips, and on our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. And thank you, God. Amen and amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so very much, Minister Margo. Thank you for the powerful prayer. I thank God for uh, receiving, as you said, the prayer and just blessing us all. Well, before I get into um, the part where Caravan uh, and Hector are going to uh, help us with the program, I want to talk about a few things that I had put on Facebook. I had put um, one thing on there about how I was praying and asking God about people that were um, at church and doing a lot of faking and um you know, shouting and um, going through the formalities of, as we say, churching. And they weren't living um, what they were uh, preaching and teaching about, but also also those that were just playing church. They were out there imitating others. And I loved how God responded to me. And he reminded me about how Shirley Caesar had, uh, put out a song years ago about how her and her sisters would go out the backyard and they would play church and how she was uh, out there and this particular time she wasn't playing and her sister went and told her mom, Mom, Shirley's out there playing again. And her mom looked out there and saw that she wasn't playing that time, that the Holy Ghost had got a hold of her for sure. And then I was like, hmm, I, I can't wait, because it took me back to when I was a young girl and my sister, Minister Sylvia, and I would go to church, and we would sing in the choir, and we would do all of the things that our mother, you know, had required of us and that the Word required of us, and um, how Pastor Linda Handy would take us to church all the time and um, make us part of plays and choirs and things of that sort. And how as we got older, we would still go to church because we knew that was a requirement living in our mom's house. But how we would sit there and wait for my mom to give us the okay to go to the club. And so she would make us still go to church, but she was hoping that sooner or later the word of God would get into us and we wouldn't be going to church out of what she was requiring that we did but that we would go there because we really wanted to be saved. And over the course of the years, she did what the Word did. She trained up the child in the way they should go. And so we went out and we did everything. Um, I was in the Army, and you know how they say, be all you could be in the Army? Well, I was being all I could be in the Army and more. So um, if you understand what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you can always email me, text me, inbox me, or whatever. And I'll tell you what it meant. I took being all you could be in a whole nother world because it was like letting a kid into a candy store. And I just went crazy because whether you know it or not, on those military bases, there were some fine men. So the eye candy was just what I thought I needed. 
But later on, I came back to God, and I'm so grateful that he took all of my sins and he threw them into the sea of forgetfulness. And him and my mother and others know that um, I'm not going to church and being a part of religion out of formality anymore. I'm going and doing what I'm doing out of relationship, out of fellowship, because I love God for real. I'm no longer playing. I'm no longer doing what I was told to do, but I'm doing it because I want to do it. And so it blessed me that I'm bringing that up because I'm on my way driving all the way um, back to the DMV area. And so I was very concerned because um, even though the check engine light, it goes off and on, it's off right now, but the wrench is still off. So I couldn't get into a car dealer. I was going to um, the various places just trying to get in. I was like, it used to be if the wrench and the check engine light came on, they got you in right away. So I went over to AutoZone and things of that sort. Because, see, we can't be ignorant of safe devices. We know that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God is come that we may have life and that more abundantly. And so then I said, okay, well, I need someone to ride with me. I'm going to see if I can get someone to go with me because I, I'm not a mechanic. I I don't know cars. Like my, my dad did teach me and my sister how to pull up toilets and put toilets down. He taught us how to fix our cars. He taught us how to do all of that. But to be honest, I'm an educator by a trade I I am a financial uh, person and financial management. That's my expertise. Travel, that's my expertise. But cars and things of that sort, that's not me. And so I asked the family to um, go with me because I needed someone to go with me. And so things had happened where it seemed like I was going to be driving by myself. And so I called on God. I said, God, I'm frustrated. I'm upset. I said, you teach me to give and give and give. I said, just like you give to me. I said, but God, I feel disappointed. I feel frustrated because this check engine light is on and this wrench is on, and I shouldn't have to tell my family that that's why I want someone to ride with me because of my um, understanding that I don't know cars. And I wouldn't want to be out here as a woman, especially at my age, um, by myself. Um, because of the uh, climate that we currently live in. And not only did God hear my prayers, but he heard my prayers to the extent that not only did Carvon um, volunteer to go back with me, but Hector did as well. And so the reason that I'm bringing this up is that just as God answered my mom's prayer when she wanted us to be saved and love the Lord, he did the same thing for me. I mean, I did not say, well, if you all go this or that, they actually wanted to go and not just um, to help me drive, but so that they can see other parts in America. They're not those, uh, what, what you call Chicago nights. They're not those people that just go stay in Chicago and don't want to go anywhere. Now these two young men have an opportunity to see maybe if it's still up, um, you know, they can see Emma Till in the various um black history and things that uh, D.C. has to offer. They can see the Holocaust Museum. They can see the Hispanics Museum. They can see all of those things that are there and also help me. And so I was so grateful to God. I said, God, I didn't tell everybody the whole story. I said, but just seeing how you took care of me, he gave me double." For my trouble. He gave me both Carvon and Hector, and so they're just hearing about it right now because they didn't know either. But the reality of it is that when you pray and you ask God for something, you may get it immediately like he did with me, or you may have to wait like my mother had to wait on what she had put in us through the word of God to see if we would come back to God or if we would stay out there being all we could be. And it was more than an army for me because God blessed me to go all over the world. Um, I mean, uh, various places in Germany, Korea, um, Saudi Arabia, Iraq. I, mean, I could just go on and on the various places he allowed me to go. And even once I got out, the various places that I've gone to work because 
sometimes in order to get a promotion, sometimes in order to get that opportunity that you're looking for, you've got to be willing to move. So some people will say, well, I don't understand why I can't do this or that. Well, sometimes it's because you haven't made that commitment, that thing that says that I'm willing to do what I need to do to get what I want. So, for instance, I have friends that I've known for years. They don't understand how they had their degrees and things before me, but they still don't make the income that I make. Well, it was because I told God a long time ago what I wanted and how I was willing to move to get it. Not everybody's willing to move to get it. They want to stay in the same place during the same time without making a commitment. Even to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you may have to go from country to country, city to city, and state to state. Or God might use you because it may be your ministry just to be in that one place. So with these gentlemen, I'm just blessed because they're making those moves. They call them shakers. They're making those shaker moves. They're willing to shake up the ground and break up the ground to do the things they need to do to get to the dream. And they're young men. These aren't 30-year-old men. These are men that are still in their early 20s, and they're willing to make those connections. They're willing to take those um, trips to go somewhere. Do you know there's people in their 50s and 60s that have never left where they live at? They just be in that area. They've never left that state. These gentlemen have already been to Puerto Rico. These gentlemen have uh, now going to be in the DMV area. They're going to various places to live those dreams that other people just sitting around talking about. And I'm loving that, that they're not just doing this to help me, but they're also getting to see America. And there's more to America than Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin, which is in our area. And so now I want to talk about what we are going to talk about. I just wanted to brag on them for a while. So if you haven't applauded them already, I ask that you would because they're doing something as young gentlemen that people don't do sometimes until they're in their 50s and 60s. So if they're traveling in the places they're going now, I can't even imagine when they're 50 and they're 60, the testimonies and the things that they're going to be able to tell their children and their children's children about the things that they did even before they had children. So I'm doing and saying what I'm saying because I'm celebrating Hector and I'm celebrating Carvon and their commitment to not only help a person up in age, because I'm not in my 20s and 30s like I used to be, but they're also seeing the world, and so I appreciate them for that. So, um, like I said, that's my kudos to them, or as we say in the government, my shout-out for bragging on them. They had a law that uh, in America that's called three strikes and you're out, or just three strikes. So what happened is it was supposed to be something that was equally um, spread across America. See, like I said, we can't act like we can ignore the devices of the enemy because the enemy will creep in. And so with the three strikes, the enemy creeped in. It was a, a law that was perverted, and it was perverted in a way that it took the things that minorities did and made it uh, – where they would become hard criminals before the silver spoon people, the people that could afford lawyers. So, for instance, you'll notice when you look in the criminal justice system, there's more people in there for what we call the highway drug, heroin. There's more people in there for crack cocaine. But there's not that many people in there for cocaine, and even if they are, they don't have the years that the judge gave them. So if I have a $20 bag of whatever, say say I got $50 or $100 worth of um, crack cocaine, but say I have $25,000 worth of cocaine, if I have a, mo- a mother or a father or someone that can get me out 
or give me a good lawyer, that I might just get one strike. But if I'm that person in the inner neighborhood that can't afford this or that, every time I get a little $20 bag or a $50 bag or something, I'm going to get in there over and over again, and I'm not going to have the law or the lawyers to back me up because I'll be deemed as a hardened criminal at a young age because my struggle and my income don't match the three strikes. See, what people fail to realize, you might say, you just talk it. Excuse you. I've been working not only as a military person, a financial person, I've worked in the prison system many years. I worked in the federal prison. I worked in the, uh, the city of prisons. You name them. I've worked them. I've worked in the jails. So I'm, I'm talking about not just what I heard about, but what I know. So people look at me and they're like, oh, I can't believe she worked in the jail system. Yes, I did. And I did it while I was active duty. I moonlighted. I did it in Colorado. I did it in North Carolina. I just did it in many cities. I went to the cities and I helped the uh, police and everybody pull the crackheads and, and the drug addicts and various people, the prostitutes off the street, and we would bring them to a building and we would clean them up and we would feed them and we would counsel them and do different things like that. So like I said, I'm not talking about what I heard. I'm talking about what I know. And so because of these things, some of our role models that should be role models aren't there because they've been incarcerated at a young age. And because they've been incarcerated, when they go to get a job, they can't get an opportunity for a hands up. But then someone else that may have did something even greater, whether it was that uh, 250K bag of cocaine, but they have someone that can get them out of jail, they can get another job because their father owns the business or their uncle or their aunt owns the business or their uh, husband or their wife owns the business. But then you can have somebody else that committed a crime, one major crime, and now 30 years later, that major crime, because they didn't have the money, is still on their records. And guess what? can't get on a military base, and the reason why they can't is because of that one incident. But it's because they didn't have that silver spoon that allowed them to get the lawyer to go in and expunge and, and get you clemency. That's a whole other message. But I wanted to ask Carbon and um, Hector, they can take their time and they can answer if they want to, or they can just not. But what do you think when you see um, someone that's a so-called hardened criminal, do you think if maybe they would have had the money or the resources to get that second chance, that that is something that's important? Or do you even see those things in the community where you live in? Do you see um, things out there that offer people a second chance. What are your thoughts about first-time and second-time offenders that are in a neighborhood or in a family that don't have the money to get them, as we say, off? Do you have anything you want to share? Uh, this is Carvon speaking. This is Carvara speaking. I would say that for the people that's a little off, I think they might, if they had that chance, I think they'll do it. But what I'll say is I don't think everything's worth everything in life. I think you should just have faith and believe in yourself, believe that there's something out there for you that can give you someone that could give you the second chance that you need to achieve your dream or achieve your goals or get you started on your goals. That's what I do. Hector, you have anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I have a speaker. How y'all doing in Texas? Um, I feel like it's just, I mean, this world is being involved in. People I've been around 
will creep in. And so although we were going to church and we were doing all of that, guess what? There's people that were going to church in the, the pedophiles and the Catholic churches and the stuff we're messing with them. So as we would allow our parents to show us the positive things and as we would allow the Mr. Stevens, Mr. Stevens did not know us. Mr. Stevens was not a part of our family, but he was a neighbor that lived with a neighbor. They were dating, and he saw me and my sister, and he saw the potential in our lives and on our lives. He could see the struggles that we were dealing with in the neighborhood, and he started taking us to get jobs at the YMCA's, and he started making it where we could have money so that we wouldn't be like our neighbor who was doing things to try to help the family out, even though our parents, I have to be honest, they didn't need help uh, per se because my mom's brothers took the best care of her that I've seen any family. If anybody wants to know how to take care of a family member, my mother and her brothers were definitely it. Her brothers loved her. My Uncle George, my Uncle Isaiah, oh, I could just go on and on. My Uncle Buck, they loved their sister. And they did whatever they had to do to protect them and to cover them. Not like today where a brother may sell his own sister or a father may sell his own sister or son. I mean, these men took great care of my mother. They took great care of my husband. I mean, oh, my God. But even in that, we uh, were given a, Renee constantly talked about it, Miss Sylvia, how, my parents assigned her to take care of me. They assigned her to protect me, and she took that job seriously. It was like, like I, I choked with all the time. She used that in order just to fight people or, or do whatever, but she took good care of me. And um, before I would look up, somebody might be starting to fight with me, and I might be out there saying, can we all just get along? I really was saying that at a young age. So when they were talking about the man that said it, Rodney King, all I could do was laugh because I was like, I have been saying that all my life. Can't we all just get along? And the reality of it was that we could, but because of the jealousy, <laughs> that's a whole other uh, message in itself, we didn't get to do that. And so... Um, she protected me, even when the gangbangers wanted me to be a part of the gang. She would say, nope, not her. He didn't, all of the stuff her and my sister Sheila and my cousin Sandra and all of them got in, they would never let me do it, even if I wanted to. But the reality of it is I was a, I was a nerd. I didn't want to do that stuff. I was more interested in reading, not just the Bible, but reading the dictionary or the or thorns that I I would just sit there. My parents had a big book library. I was just sitting there reading. I just love read. I love learning the new words. If it was a word that uh, people said was a uh, a university word or a professor word, I was going to learn that word and learn how to use it in a sentence. And so I was just different. But the reality of it is I saw people that were different, like my next-door neighbor on the right, that allowed the peer pressure to change him into what he could have been based off of him wanting to fit in. And then that brings me to the next subject that I want to talk about with Hector and um, Carvon. They have this safety, this new law thing that's coming out, that's a group of laws together that's going to make it where in January of next year people can commit crimes and these so-called petty crimes they won't get arrested for anymore. They'll get a ticket. If someone's laundering in your home and they've decided to be a squatter, they won't put them out for you no more. You'll have to decide how to put them out, and you got to do it within the law. How many people know the law of what you could do to put somebody out your house? Please help me. Before you put this law in place, you need to educate the people on what can they do if there's a squatter in their house. What can they do if someone drives through a light and kills a family member like we just had to deal with? And because of their carelessness and disregard for law, what can you do if someone uh, commits uh, this or that crime that now they'll just get a ticket for? Are you kidding me? Let's educate the people on what this law means 
and what they can do within their rights. And let's make sure that we don't use it like the three strike thing, where we just use it to make minorities into uh, hardened criminals because they can't afford the money to uh, do whatever. There's, the way it appears now, it looks like someone's going to have four or five little uh, minor, what they call misdemeanors, but because there's so many of them, that they're going to have at the same time. By the time they get to court, of course the judge will still have a little leeway, but the judge can put them away for life, where before he may have been able to give them, um, you know, a little fine of probation. And so the judge will still have orders, but just imagine that person that's doing crime after crime after crime, and they're all building up. So, yes, they were in jail for a long time before they were going to court, but at least they were out of the system, the crime system. And, yes, they will no longer be in jail for a long time, especially those that didn't do it. How many people have gone to jail and we've heard about them going to jail and they did the time for a crime that they didn't even commit? How many people have been in jail for two, three years waiting Awaiting, not just being charged, but awaiting going to trial. So there's things that have been perverted, but it's mostly been perverted against the poor and minorities. So let's make things fair and equitable all across. So if I tell you you got a squatter in the house and all I can do is give them a ticket, well, what about what can I do to get them out? And what could I have done to prevent them from becoming a squatter in the first place? What could I do to that person who just blew through the light, as my uh, great-nephew had said before? And right after his, um, my sister, his grandmother had got killed, and someone blew through a light and hit him. Okay, so if he's only going to get a ticket and maybe not even be charged, what could he do? What could he have done to make sure that after January, this man still is charged and and uh, properly cited for running through the light? Because this blatant disregard for the law is a hot mess. I was telling my um, great nephew that we were driving. We were in Chicago, and people weren't stopping for the light. They was using it like a stop sign. They I'm sitting there waiting for the light to change, and people are just going around me. They just pause for a minute and go through the light, the speed limit. They just drive what they want to drive. So it's like a blatant disregard already in Chicago for the law. So now you're going to tell me that person that just blows through the light, everybody's going to be blowing through it. But the reality of it is, what do we do? What do we do if people are blowing through the light? What do we do if people are breaking laws? What do we do? And so my question to Hector and Carvan now is what can we do to help ourselves, to help our parents, and to make sure that the, just like the three strikes law help hurt our community, we don't want this law to hurt our community because we don't want people doing stuff to people that's going to get them in jail now. If I put someone out of my house and I use force that makes me a criminal now, I still don't get to live in my house. So what do you think they should do in order to make this law that they're bringing in fair to a community that's already dealing with um, microaggressions and micro inequalities? We already don't get fair treatment. So how will this law help us if we're not educated to know what we can and can't do. So which one of you want to go first? Um, I feel like regardless of what the laws is, if people going to do what they want to do. If they see it happen once, it's going to continue to happen. Um, the best thing we could do is women. Do, do what's right. Um, we really can't control other people and what the, the actions they do. But just, yeah, do right in your head and 
make sure you know what really goes on and what the law is really about before, you know, continue doing it. Amen. Carvon? Um, I would say for the people that believe these laws are a great thing, are sick, because these are probably things that they've always wanted to do, and the government has given us leeway to commit the crimes that they want to do. I feel like it's better for personally black people, and I only say personally black people because you you barely see black people color. But what they may do is come together. Black people don't come together. They expect us to kill each other and do everything. Because that's all in our blood. That's all we think. But that's not all we think. We, some of us are great people, and some of us believe in great things. We just gotta now that they make it easy to laws. I guess we gotta find a way to stay out the crazy people's way because we don't know who, uh, who, what, when, or what they gonna do when they see you. Because some people could be staring at you and do something stupid. And they won't be charged for it because it's the law now. But I just think that due to the laws that we have, we should all be patient and uh, be patient and try to keep ourselves on task to not commit these crimes because once you do something, you can't come back from it. Amen, amen. I think another thing I would add is I heard a clanman say they don't waste their time killing African Americans and minorities anymore because we kill ourselves. And it goes to that self-genocide, that self-sabotage. Let's educate ourselves on the true intentions of what these laws are being put in place for. And then as Hector and Carbon said, once we've been educated, we're now empowered. And let's empower ourselves to stay out of trouble, to do the things that it takes not only to protect us, but to protect the community. Back in the day, not only could my mother whoop me, but Ms. Wilson, Ms. Collins, Mr. Powell, all of them could have whooped me, but they would have had to bring me to my parents and tell them, uh, what had happened to the whole neighborhood, the whole community, the church, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, uh, the so-called friends, everybody was raising the children. We have to come back to being a community that raises our family. We have to come back to being that community that cares for our children. It's not about as Karan said, necessarily the money, even though it is. Because the reality of it is to do the things that we need to do takes resources. To take the resources that we have and not put them in the community the way we need to have them in the community is not going to work. I have a great niece that said, why isn't the church putting stuff in the community? She talks about how in the Jewish community that she lives in now, how the church does so much. You see them teaching the children how to do this. You see them teaching the adults how to do that. They're teaching. They're taking the resources that are coming into the church. And it's not just the pastor and the first lady aren't still uh, being able to glean um, from that. But they're not so busy trying to get a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, but they're putting the money back into the community. And so that's one of the things that I have before God, that when I retire that I'll be able to go back to the community and, and do the things that he's allowed me to do before, teaching people about resumes. When we had the resume building classes and when we had the uh, address to success classes, the very thing, and God allowed me to use my money. This is the money that I was working for. This wasn't money that anybody was giving me. This was my donation. 
but I use the income that I made from my day-to-day job to put on these conferences to empower people. Even the speakers that came, my income paid them. It was the income that God gave me. I asked God to let me do that in a greater way because if he can give me the money, if he can allow me to live off 10% and so 90%, would I do it? Yes. Yes. Yes, not only would I do it because I know that if he allowed me to get it and do it, that it was God who allowed me to do it. And even if it's 50%, whatever it is, if God gives me the income to help a community and to help a people, that's what I want to do. Not only did I do it in my early years, I want God to do what he said. And his word says that my ladder will be greater. And so in my ladder, I want God to use me and anything that he gives me to change that struggling community into a striving community. And if I can unite with others to do it, my testimony about God did it would be even greater. So I want to thank everybody for joining in today. I want to thank, um, you know, Carvon and, and Hector for sharing with us today. As young men, like I said, these aren't 30 years old men. These are people that are young in their 20s, and they're doing what they're doing now. Imagine what they can and will be doing years from now. So for anyone that has any comments or anything you want to say, I want to see if Minister Margo can um, continue on with, um, you know, closing out the program in prayer and, and making the announcements. And if you haven't heard anything else today, I want you to hear this. I challenge you to take whatever resources you have to unite and to uplift every community that you are part of. In Jesus' name. Minister Margo? Well, uh Thank you, Apostle Les, and I thank the young men for their contributions on today's program. Uh, Very thought-provoking and informative information about the the state of Illinois and probably other states. But I think it goes back to the adage of uh, it takes a village to raise a child. And we need to, as a community, of African-American people, not that others aren't also uh, responsible for their children, but we need to start looking at ourselves as a unit. The unity has been lost. The unity has been lost. The love for our neighbors and concern for their welfare has been lost. And we need to pray and ask God to restore our community because we grew up when we were growing up we felt like the community was our family our extended family and we cared about them and we must get that back again so um, I just like to thank all of those who are listening now and those who will listen to the archives for being part of our Sunday program, Let's Talk, which is aired at 9.30 a.m. Central Standard Time and 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every Sunday. Please join us each Monday. And Minister Sylvia Kaiser-Wright, she hosts Let's Talk at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which streams live and on Facebook and Blog Talk Radio. This Monday Light is and I'm sure God is going to continue to help me to come forward to bring a word of encouragement and information about spiritual maturity that as we continue to grow, our most important growth is in our knowledge and love of the Lord. So please stay tuned on Monday, and um, we would just like for each of you to remember the foundational scripture, which we have in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added unto you. So we, again, thank God for this discussion. We thank God for placing in the hearts of these young men and all those that are listening to recapture, to restore, with God's help, our community, to become active members in making sure that if we just plant one seed of hope, one seed of acknowledgement, that then that person will plant another and it will grow and grow and grow as God has intended us each to have a part in his kingdom. And he desires that this kingdom here on earth represent his kingdom in heaven. We thank him for this day. And we ask that his will be done in our lives, in the lives of all those who love him and those who are called according to his word. Those of us who are Christians, let's represent. <laughs> let's represent God in everything we say, do, and think as we go through this next week. So God bless you and keep you. And remember, seek him first. God bless you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.